The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. I was looking for something to make this talk cohere. And I was washing Yukon's robes so that they'll be ready when we need them. And in the sleeve of one of his kimonos, I found this um, handkerchief that the Zen kids made as gifts for the residents probably like 10 years ago or so. And on the handkerchief, there's some, you know, wild uh, art. And then there's this verse. No coming, no going, no self, no other. Nothing to choose, nothing to discard. Endless blue mountains without a speck of dust. It's a verse that appears in the heart of being and is the capping verse, I guess, to a koan, but it looks like maybe Daido Roshi sort of tweaked it a little bit or used some artistic license because I couldn't actually find a verbatim, um, uh, a place where it appears exactly like this. I'll read it again for you. It's quite uh, a pith instruction, if you will. No coming, no going no self, no other, nothing to choose, nothing to discard, endless blue mountains without a speck of dust. It's a pith teaching on the middle way, on form and emptiness, on existence and non-existence, on how to work with our mind and the true nature of things. And when we talk about existence and non-existence, that seems to me always really heady and abstract. And the middle way is a phrase, doesn't really like make my heart go pitter-patter. But really, we're talking about the fact that here we each are, this like complete individual being. And actually, there's nothing of substance to us. Nothing of substance at all. Instead, we're just part, an aspect, a manifestation of what uh, Uchiyama Roshi calls the universal self, what Buddhism calls Buddha, clear, bright, awake. Endless blue mountains without a speck of dust. This dust, (laughs) 
that word is used again and again in the Buddhist teachings. It's like often um, referring to our um, obscurations, our afflictions, our kleshas, defilements, all of the things that we sort of, um, that are sort of blowing about in our energetic and psychic sphere and um, uh, causing confusion, maybe obscuring our view. You could almost imagine there's like a cloud of dust that we're like walking around in. It's all that keeps us isolated, angry, depressed, scared, bewildered. And yet, there isn't a speck of dust actually to be found. The dust is just mind-made. It's the dust of grasping and rejecting. Grasping and rejecting aren't solid. They aren't things that you can like pick up and point to. They're, they're gestures and movements of the mind. It's an energy we bring forward. They don't exist in and of themselves. So the dust is all just habit and pattern, our karma playing out. So zazen is like this practice where we confront the dust, work with the dust. It seems like maybe we're trying to clear away the dust, but actually we're trying to see like, oh, there's no dust. when um, Dogen came back from China. So I feel like the story, Dogen's life story, is, is really hitting me a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know, in the heart since, since traveling to Japan, where um, he's like so revered. I mean, he's revered in American Soto Zen too, but um, in Japan especially, I think. And... Um, and, you know, it's like his teaching is so difficult, it's so subtle, and um, I mean, I don't know how many, how many people who are sort of elevating Dogen have, like, really grappled with uh, the subtlety of his teaching. But um, his teaching, even if we don't grapple with it, I guess it makes an impact. So when he came back, he traveled, right? If, if uh, just a brief, quick biographical sketch for those who might find it helpful. Dogen ordained as a young monk, a young, a young man. Um, and uh, he um, studied uh, at a Rinzai monastery in, in Kyoto, Kenenji, um, after having traveled to some other places and um, met his teacher there, Myozen, and didn't feel, felt that there was something missing from his experience of the practice. And he and his teacher Myozen together traveled to China, um, which was the, the, the source of the, the Zen teaching in order to come hopefully into closer contact with um, 
the heart of the Dharma. And so after a time in China, he, he meets his, his teacher who becomes um, his transmission teacher, uh, Zhu Zheng, and studies with him and receives Dharma transmission and returns to Japan. And um, upon returning to Japan, one of the first things that he um, writes, it's supposed, I guess there isn't uh, completely verifiable um, historical information on this, is Fukan Zazengi, which is a, a text which describes Zazen. So I bring this up because um, having traveled all that way, apparently to his satisfaction, he brings back the form of zazen that we study and train and practice, even now. And Fukan Zazengi is a deceptively simple text with so much in it. I was looking at it again, and um, I just want to share with you the, the beginning because of the dust. This uh, is a translation by Maizumi Roshi. Originally, the way is complete and universal. How can we distinguish practice from enlightenment? The vehicle of reality is in the self. Why should we waste our efforts trying to attain it? Still more, the whole body is free from dust. Why should we believe in a means to sweep it away? When I read that, I think about what was he dissatisfied with? What was the practice that he was experiencing before he went to China? And how did this understanding satisfy? And I guess one of the things that comes um, into sharper focus for me is just this teaching on the way is complete and universal. The self is the way. We don't have to go anywhere or attain anything. There is no dust. We don't need to sweep it clean. I hope that you can feel that that's like a mic drop moment. <laughs> it's the same as in the, um, in the Platform Sutra, for those of you who are, who are familiar with that, where Wei Nang offers his, his verse, um, which says, uh, there's no Bodhi tree, and there's no place for the dust to alight. So a different teaching, a different context, but it's the same, um, the same core message on, on um, really that to see into the empty nature of things is, is uh, the, 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 the deep teaching of the middle way. So this being so, how do we practice? Well, um, Fukanza Zengi goes on to say a little bit more about it. So, after a section in which Dogen actually describes Zazen, 
and describes, you know, using a zabuton and sitting in full or half lotus and like having your clothes be loose and neat and putting your right palm up on your left foot and your left foot palm up on your right and the tips of your thumbs touching, sitting upright, neither leaning to the left nor the right, neither forward nor backward. Your ears should be in line with your shoulders. Your nose should be in line with your navel. Place your tongue against the roof of your mouth. Close your lips and jaw. Always keep your eyes open. Breathe quietly through your nose. After having regulated your posture, exhale completely. Take a breath. Sway your body from left to right a few times. Sit stably in samadhi. Think of not thinking. Yeah. How do you think of not thinking? Beyond thinking, this is the essential way of zazen. So geek out with me for a minute here. Um, there are uh, different versions of Fukan Zazengi, okay? And um, he apparently, Dogen revised it over his, over his life of practice in the Dharma. And there's a version that is an earlier version. It's referred to as the Tenpukubon or Shinputsu version, and it's dated and signed in 1233. So the first version was probably written in 1227, and there aren't actually um, remains of that around, but somehow scholars know that there was probably an earlier one that came right, right when he returned. He returned from China in 1227. And then there's this um, first version that we have, actually, that still exists, and it's on display at AHG. That's sitting there like, wow, is that possible? And then there's the one that I just read to you from, which comes much later in his life, 1244, okay? That's the popular one. That's the one that he polished and worked on and was like, okay, this is the one. Ajo, take this one, put it out there, okay? But the Tenpuku ten version has a really interesting difference. Okay. Hold on to your seats. <laughs> that part where um, the one that we, most of us know and have heard again and again where it says, think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Beyond thinking, okay? Instead of that, in his earlier one, right, from like 10 years earlier in his practice, this is what it says. Having regulated your posture, harmonize your breath. When thought arises, be aware of it. When you are aware of it, it will disappear. Put aside everything outside continuously and make yourself into one piece. It's just a little bit more explicit. When thought arises, be aware of it. When you're aware of it, it will disappear. Put aside everything outside continuously and make yourself into one piece. It's awareness. So, one thing for me that was really a game changer in my zazen was um, pretty much figuring that part out for myself. You know, actually having the experience of um, Rather than tussling with my thinking mind, 
really, really trusting the practice. So I love how Dogen begins with that sort of, um, uh, the way is, is, is already completely manifest. I'm paraphrasing, but those opening lines. Because that's our invitation to really trust. And then when a thought arises, we don't have to um, fight with it. And we don't have to do something about it. And we don't need to regard it as a problem or our meditation as some kind of failure. The instruction is very clear and clean. Just become aware of it. Just become aware of it. Easier said than done. It's so hard to trust that. I wanted to fold in here too, feeling, feeling. Because we talk about thought, but like a lot of our dust is actually feeling. Sometimes it's feeling that we know and can label and can recognize, and sometimes it's feeling that's bubbling away there under the surface, and we're not even aware. Sometimes if my mind is going, I'll think, wait a second, what's going on? Oh, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. And going to the feeling underneath the thought helps me. So how are thought and feeling different? And if the practice works of just being aware when it comes to thought, does it work when it comes to feeling? When thought arises, be aware of it. When you are aware of it, it will disappear. When feeling arises, be aware of it. And because of the nature of feeling, feel it. That's part. That's part. When you're aware of it, when you let yourself feel it, when your trust in the way is big enough to hold whatever comes, it moves, it shifts, it changes. So sometimes we'll talk about the self as a thought. Like if you really look, and you see like, okay, the self, the self, I, me, mine, like what is it, what is it? And you really look, it's like, oh, oh, I can't, like underneath all of the thoughts, like is there something there? And I've heard Shugen Roshi speak about like, the self is a feeling, it's a sense. It's a sense. The sense of self is a feeling. Same thing. I feel like myself. Here I am. Me, I, me, mine. If I look closely at this sense, at this feeling of myself, what's there? The um, Chan teacher, uh, Gokan quoted him yesterday, Guoku, he has a, a, nice, a nice way of speaking about the importance of being aware of feeling. He talks about our underlying feeling tones. And that we should um, 
practice in such a way that we're not shutting those down or cutting them out, but exposing them, shining the light on them. And then as they're exposed, to embrace them, not trying to get rid of them, but to allow them to be, to let ourselves feel them, to be intimate. And then from here, then we can let go. There's no heavy lifting in letting go. If we're working really hard to let go, it's time to like dial it back and see like, where's the effort coming in? Are we afraid? Do we think this thought or feeling is a problem? Got to get rid of it. (gasps) Or can we look and see? Not a speck of dust. It's hard though. It's hard. It's difficult. If it weren't difficult, I guess we'd all be realized Buddhas. And, um, you might be wondering, like, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to let go of a feeling? Well, we come by it honestly. There's a um, creation story that I made up mm, almost probably a year and a half or two years ago about um, Lu and Zoe, who are um, these beings who are aspects of original presence, manifestations of original presence, and together they create the world, and they create these beings in the world (coughs) to appreciate the world, Buddhas. But um, things don't go as planned, and the Buddhas lose touch with who they really are, and Lu and Zo keep trying to find ways to remedy the situation. And so this is the story of another attempt. One day, after a nice, long, refreshing rest in the vast expanse of original presence, Lu and Zo roused themselves for a cup of coffee. After a few moments of sipping together and quietly abiding, Lou cleared their throat. <clears throat> Zoe, Zoe, I think I'm on the verge of a breakthrough with the Buddhas. Zoe looked up at Lou unblinkingly, intent and cautious. Oh? This time, I think I've really got something good, Zoe. I think I have really, truly figured out a foolproof way to bring love and joy to the Buddhas. With my new invention, even if they're still confused about who they truly are, at least they'll be smiling. Hmm, said Zoe, taking another sip of coffee. Say more. I've invented feelings, said Lou. Feelings, asked Zoe. What exactly do you mean? Ooh, it's hard to explain, said Lou, but I can demonstrate. Lou left and came back with a great and wonderful wand. With a flourish, they waved it through the air. Suddenly, some beams of something kind of like light started to move through space, colorful bands of energy crossing and flowing and rippling waves over the two of them. 
In almost no time, Zoe was smiling, and then pretty soon laughing. <laughs> wow, amazing. Feelings, huh? Yep, yep, feelings. Happiness, joy, contentment, satisfaction, delight, enthusiasm, gratitude, confidence, trust, faith, devotion, love, gladness. Good stuff, huh? Zoe had to admit that the feelings seemed very promising indeed. How long do they last? asked Zoe, who noticed that the pleasure had already started to fade. Well, I'm having trouble with that part, admitted Lou. They're completely insubstantial. They, they go as fast as they come. But I've, I've got a few ideas. I'm, I'm still tinkering. Lou put the feelings through Zoe's densification machine. The result was questionable, but Lou was optimistic. Now, when the feelings beamed out onto Zoe, they lingered. Ah, they're sticky, exclaimed Zoe, smiling once again. It's, it's good, I, I guess, and, and weird. Zoe laughed again. Weird, but worth it, quipped Lou, giggling. <laughs> so shall we, Lou said. Okay, let's do it, said Zoe, still bathed in a feeling of utter delight. And so Lou waved the wand, and the new improved feelings rippled brightly down onto the world. Lou and Zoe held their breath and watched. Would it work? At first, it seemed like the miracle they'd been waiting for. The Buddhas seemed to visibly flush and brighten. Soon, even their movements had a touch of bounce and a zingy kind of lightness. Peals of laughter reverberated. Soon, there were exclamations of joy. And Zoe and Lou watched with satisfaction as the Buddhas linked arms and strolled happily along beaches or rested their heads on each other's shoulders, contented and easy as they gazed into the sky. Pretty soon there was singing and then dancing. Not long after, there were maypoles, freeze tag, and capture the flag. The happiness was inspiring. The Buddhas invented carousels, hot tubs, fried potatoes, and tiramisu. <laughs> Lou and Zoe gave each other a high five. We did it, said Lou. The Buddhas are finally happy. Just then, the sound of a child's wail pierced the air. Lou and Zoe froze in their tracks, their eyes locked on each other. This felt all too familiar. Zoe looked down first. Oh, said Zoe, looks like the game of capture the flag went south. Little Sammy's team lost. And then a moan and a groan issued from another region. Too much tiramisu, observed Lou. <laughs> Pretty soon the world was full of sighs, of frowns and moans and groans, of pushing and shoving. There were feelings all right but they were not so good. I don't get it, said Lou. What's going wrong? Zoe shook their head. We should have remembered about the valleys. What, what do you mean? What valleys, said Lou in a mild panic. Remember when I made the mountains, said Zoe. The valleys weren't on purpose, but they just appeared. 
Oh, geez, Lou sighed. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? If there's happiness, then there's going to be unhappiness. If there's delight, then there's going to be irritation and anger. So Lou and Zoe rolled up their sleeves and went to work without stop, trying to problem solve. A long, long time passed. Then Zoe had an epiphany. Wait a second, said Zoe. In the beginning, you said the feelings were insubstantial. That's right, said Lou. They're completely insubstantial, just sticky. So you mean there's nothing to them? Nothing. It's just energy rippling through. Well, and when the energy ripples through, then what? Well, then nothing, Lou sighed. I mean, unless it starts a chain reaction, which is what seems to be happening down there. Disappointed feelings leading to worthlessness feelings, leading to depression and despair feelings. And then the Buddhas are acting out of the feelings, which brings more feelings. It's a total shit show. There's nothing actually there, but they're acting like there is. It's crazy. There's nothing there, Lou called down. It's just a feeling. <sighs> what a mess. We should just shut the whole thing down. Zoe thought for a bit and then shook their head. Let's not get rid of them so fast. The good feelings were amazing, Lou. They might have been your most brilliant creation yet. I mean, they brought so much texture and aliveness to the Buddhas. They inspired so many brilliant creations. And just like the valleys have their own beauty and wonder, it seems like even the negative feelings have their own strange, dark beauty, too. Maybe we don't have to get rid of all the feelings. Maybe we just have to show them there's nothing actually there. When good feelings come, that's all, just a good feeling. When the bad feelings come, that's all, just a bad feeling. What if, what if you take away the color? Hmm. It's worth a try, Lou agreed. It was a lot of work, but finally Lou managed. Now, stripped of their color and form, the feelings had no visible component. It's not making any difference, Lou observed. Far out, said Zoe. It seems really completely obvious that they're insubstantial, but not to the Buddhas, grumbled Lou. Idiots. Now, now, said Zoe. What about the stickiness? So Lou went back to work. A long, long, long time passed. Finally, Lou emerged. Okay. I got rid of the stickiness. Zoe and Lou peered down. The feelings were insubstantial. They weren't even sticky anymore. They really were just rippling around and through the Buddhas, but still the Buddhas didn't get it. Oh my God, said Zoe. They're holding on to them! What?
said Lou, incredulous. The Buddhas are holding on to the feelings. They're not letting them go. And not just the good ones, they're holding on to the negative feelings too. That makes no sense, said Lou. It's like they're, they're, they're miserable, but it's like they want to be miserable. <laughs> oh, those Buddhas, said Zhao. It's a heartbreak, isn't it, Lou? They're not just confused. They're also afraid. It's like they're afraid to let go. You guys, we tried to help, said Lou, but we can only do so much. You have to do your part too, you know. When the feelings come, just hold steady. If it's pleasurable, enjoy it, but don't hold on, it won't work. There's nothing there. If it's a difficult one, just hold steady. Don't be so quick to react. There's nothing there. Look, they're not even sticky anymore. Just let them ripple through. If you don't hold on, they'll move. Nice and easy. I think that's the best we can do, said Zoe. I'm beat. Let's go have a nap. And so Lou and Zoe lay themselves down, resting once more in the vast expanse of original presence. Sticky, so convincing. But as we become still, and settle as we become more and more honest with ourselves, more willing to see all those shadowy feelings that are lurking, all the ways that we're chasing after or pushing away, then we can let them ripple through. Then we can have them as part of our human experience. I loved the uh, phrase that Gokhan used yesterday from Rebecca Lee. Let be, let through, let go. When he first read that to me, I was like, let me try that. And I thought, oh, that's good. She like found a way of pointing that I could follow. Let through, for me, was the pivot point. Because there is a way in which, like, the thought or the feeling, I want it apart. Let it come through. There's another way of phrasing the same phenomena that appears in a Mahamudra teaching, embrace with mindful presence. Same thing. When something arises, when we notice, become aware of how we're blocking, how we're creating the self, the feeling, the thought, the sensation, embrace with mindful presence. It's only appearing as a separate entity. 
It's only appearing as dust. When thought arises, be aware of it. When you are aware of it, it will disappear. It's just our fixation that creates dust. This takes fierceness, determination, and exquisite gentleness. If we're forceful, if we're aggressive, if we bring that energy in, we're just stirring it up more. We don't have to get rid of a single thing. We don't have to cut anything down or build a wall or manage it. No coming, no going, no self, no other, nothing to choose, nothing to discard, endless blue mountains without a speck of dust. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.